Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to the debut episode of Corva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono. What is Corva Mundial, and how did it come about? And you may be asking yourself, who the hell is Sal Bono? I will answer all of these in due time. But in simple terms, this is a podcast for football, soccer, calcio, football, football fans from around the world by a passionate fan of the game. I am an Italian soccer fan, but I also watch a slew of other leagues and follow many teams and wanted to find out a way to bring things together. In Italy, where the fans or the ultras sit inside a stadium is known as the Corva, hence the first part of our name here. And Mondial in Italian means world. Meaning, on this podcast, everyone gets to sit in the stands and be a part of it. This is the Globe's game, with a global audience. So let's meet some of them from famous names to regular folks. Take the atmosphere of a pub that we all have missed during the pandemic and make it a personal conversation. Let this podcast be a way to do some traveling without moving. And a way for me to fill in the seats of a stadium I have created in my mind for my soul. Let this podcast be a place where every seat gets filled by all walks of life so we can all enjoy the beautiful game together. The idea of this podcast came about after the Super League discussions were happening in the spring of 2021. The idea that teams would qualify for a rich tournament based on history and money instead of merit had myself and fans around the world raging. However, the idea quickly dissolved thanks to the fans' outcry. It became known to the world that the biggest currency in the game is not the cost of Ronaldo's left foot or right foot or Messi's speed and agility. It is the people who pay and suffer to support their team. The fans are the currency. We bring value to everything this game has to offer. So without us, it's back to those empty stadiums that we saw at the height of the pandemic. So who am I? My name is Sal Bono, and I am a journalist from New York City and a lifelong fan of the game. My club team is AC Milan, and I'm a massive fan of Italy's Azzurri. Being Sicilian on both sides, it's kind of an inherited thing. But my love of the game goes back over 30 years. Being born into a calcio craze family in 1984, the game was as big as religion in my household. I feel that after I was born, I was given a name and an Italian soccer scarf. I still own the one my nonna Mima gave me when I was a little boy. In the summer of 1990, Italy hosted the World Cup, and that was my first memory of the game. My extended family had left where I grew up in Long Island, New York, and went to Italy that summer to visit our family. And as a naive six-year-old, I knew my uncles and cousins were going to the World Cup, and I thought it would be cool to see them on TV. Glued to the TV every day, I remember watching in grainy 1980s, 1990 color TV, you know, that grainy color, technicolor, seeing the likes of Maradona, Rajamila, Valderrama, Roberto Baggio, and of course my childhood hero, Salvatore Toto Schilacci. Schilacci was a family favorite as he came from our city, Palermo, and the only Sicilian representing my people on the Azzurri. Schilacci's celebration on the field after scoring were the things of legend. His arms would go aloft in a V-shape, his eyes bulging out of his head, sweat jumping off his body and skin as if it didn't want to be there anymore, and an infectious smile that made an entire country just stand up and be proud to be Italian, and especially for us to be proud to be Sicilian. His celebrations were something I would try and mimic with my friends when I played the sport, but I was terrible at it. That's the thing. My love of this game never went beyond me watching as a spectator. When I played my friends in school, just on the field and recess, I was always last picked. I'm awful at the game, but my love of it 
only just blossomed over the years. Because of Scalacci's beauty that summer, I was hooked. I come from a long line of Juventus supporters, and you'll hear these stories this season as I talk to my guests. But even as a kid, I never liked Juventus. And that is where Scalacci played leading up to the 1990 World Cup. In the 1991-1992 season, Scalacci left Juve for, to join Inter. Now, here's where things get a little muddled for me and a little interesting. I made the conscious decision that after he left Juve, I would just cheer for whatever team he was on. But, I asked that uncle where he was playing. Now again, I'm seven years old at this point, And I don't remember if my uncle had said Inter Milan or in Milan. Thanks to his heavy accent and all. Or simply because he may have just said Milan. It gets a little jumbled in my memory. But I just remember hearing something with the city of Milan in it. So I would tune in whenever this Milan team was playing and broadcast on American TV. Which was very infrequent. But whenever I was able to catch a game on Rai Public Access, there they were. AC Milan. The team that captivated my attention. Inter Milan only ever went by Inter, and there was no internet to check any of this. But whenever I watched AC Milan, I would see the famous flying Dutchman, Franco Baraisi and Carlo Ancelotti, and was blown away by this team, not to mention a young Paolo Maldini. This team was unreal, that I felt that I was even forgetting about Scilacci. They didn't even need him. But, as luck would have it, he wasn't even on that team. It was a weird time being a soccer fan in the early 90s, pre-internet, in America nonetheless, where, you know, all of your friends didn't really follow the game, didn't watch. Again, I was rooted in all of this because of my family. But sometimes you don't pick your team. Your team picks you. And thanks to an innocent error and a misunderstanding between my uncle and I, AC Milan became my team. I didn't even realize Scalacci didn't play for them until the mid-90s when he left Serie A altogether to play in Japan for the J-League. Yes, this all sounds silly in the 21st century. I'm well aware, but this is how it happened for me. AC Milan have been a love of mine for over 30 years now, and the Azzurri even longer. Watching the Italian national team, the Euro, last summer with my 88-year-old grandmother, who has been alive to watch all of their titles being lifted, was a memory I'll cherish forever. So that is the gist of what this podcast is and who I am. At the end of every episode, I'm going to ask each guest three questions, which I will also play now and answer for you now so you can get a feel for what this is all about. So my favorite part of this podcast and been doing it has been these three rapid fire questions. So question number one is, if you could bring back a retired player to your team, alive or dead, who would it be and why? So for me... This answer is easy. It is my favorite player of all time. Someone who even surpasses Scilacci for me. And that is Andrea Pirlo. Second question is, if you could sign a current player to your team, who would it be and why? And I would love for AC Milan to have the greatest player in the world right now. The Egyptian pharaoh himself, Mohamed Salah. And question three, what is your favorite memory as a fan? So for me, certainly, it is July 9th, 2006, Italy winning that World Cup. It is something I might not see again in my lifetime. But when they did it, I was surrounded by everyone who made this game so important and special for me in my lifetime. So that's what Curva Mondial is. 
It's a way for all of us from all over the world, from all walks of life to come together, find out the weird, silly stories that make us fall in love with the clubs that we support, why we agonize and spend all of our free time with precious little time that we all have screaming at televisions or hugging each other in bars when we can. So I hope you enjoy me for the ride because for season one, I've got an amazing lineup of folks. I have a few people to thank for their help and support along the way in creating this and would like to express my gratitude now to my wife, Mara Montalbano, Nicole Rose, Emily Weeks, Allison Hall, Victoria Marin, Valentine Lissicatos, and Rosario Pellerito for their guidance and support and would like to thank all my guests this season for taking a chance and coming on and doing this little experiment that I have. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Now, with all of that said, I figured I would start off episode one of season one just a bit different. We're going to do it with a fun story about what it was like to perform at the 1994 World Cup alongside Whitney Houston. No, this didn't happen to me, but this is the story of my friend and colleague, journalist T.C. Newman. Welcome to the show, T.C. Thank you so much for having me, Sal. This is awesome. When you told me this just a few months ago, my head virtually exploded. Like, I actually don't know how... (laughs) <laughs> I like I don't have pieces of matter across my apartment at the moment because it's just I loved everything about this and you were just so nonchalant and cool about it and I guess it sort of explains the gravitas and the currency that we sort of put into fandom on different levels yes so now you're not a fan of the game but you enjoy seeing the world come together as much as I do and in the summer of 1994 you had a front row seat to see it all at the World Cup final with Brazil facing off Italy. But you did it in style, singing with Whitney Houston <laughs> in Los Angeles. Like, explain to me how this even came about. Yeah, it's pretty trippy, right? Why a theater kid who knows nothing, like zero, nothing. If it has a, a sports or anything to do with it, like I know nothing about sports. Like why I would end up at the World Cup makes zero sense. But as a theater kid, that was kind of my way in. So I was a part of this group called the Young Americans. Young Americans is kind of like up with people. They're singing, dancing, stage tours, sing happy songs and and tour around the country. Um, And I was, I was a young teenager. So maybe about 15, I believe I was 15 at the time. And um, as part of that group, we do lots of different shows and sometimes they would pop up last minute. And we got a call that, hey, any one of us, any one of you who is available, come and meet. We're all going to pack into these vans. We're going to do a quick show up in L.A. Now, granted, I'm in Orange County, California at this point. So probably about an hour, hour and a half drive up to L.A. Okay. And we go. I was available. And sure, why not? Sounds like fun. 
But now and you haven't been told what this event is and who it's for and what it's for, correct? No, had zero clue. All I knew it was that it was in LA County. Um, we had people driving us up, parents included. Mine just happened not to be them or one of the parents. Um, and they always had our costumes and they were all put away and, and that sort of thing. So I trusted the process. Like I realize now if I had a kid, I don't know if I'd just let them get in a van and not know where they were going. Like that makes no sense. However, that's what happened. And um, a few of us jumped in the van. We had a preset list of songs and uh, dances that we did. So it wasn't even a question of what we would be performing. We get to LA and we're pulling into, it's like, what? where are we and if you've ever seen the this the coliseum the la coliseum area like giant parking lot and then you can see lots of lots of cars but there were lots of buses i remember lots of buses and other vans and we went in through a side entrance and this is pre 9 11 so metal detectors and that kind of stuff was nowhere near as prevalent as it is today. And we went through the back and they did a bag check and they, they ushered us through and we were like, wow, this is like some serious security. Thought that was kind of weird. Um, and then we're hearing these people cheering and so excited and not still not knowing what's going on. So you have no idea at this point that it is not just the World Cup, but it is the World Cup final with unquestionably at the time, the two biggest soccer playing countries in the world. Again, zero sports knowledge, like had no clue what was happening. And yet one of the other kids I was with, I remember started saying, wait a second, isn't there some big soccer game going on? Uh, this was before American soccer leagues had really taken off. Right. Yeah. MLS Actually, I don't think series. we even had professional soccer that is yet. Correct. Yeah, that is correct. In the in 1996, two years later, the MLS uh, is announced and formed. So there you go. So the only soccer I had ever seen had been little kids playing the idea of adults playing soccer just made no sense to me. It just was like, well, that's what kids play. So when someone explained, yeah, I think there's a soccer thing. And I went, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Again, no, no idea of the gravitas of what's going on. And uh, we get taken to a green room in the back, still not really sure what's happening. And um this this woman comes and and she's she is clearly with the show she's got the headset on like the madonna headset yes. that the <laughs> microphone comes down in front of the my uh, her mouth and um she's talking to our director and some of the parents and kind of whispering but like that hurried whisper and someone heard whitney houston oh my and i heard i was like did she say no. And she leaves and the parents are like smiling and giggling. And someone said, did she say Whitney Houston? And, and yeah, so basically that's how we found out. We're like, okay, we're about to do something with Whitney Houston. And that was just, she was 
on top of the world at that point. So yes. just, just the most beautiful, the most talented, the most records sold. How many Grammys? Like everyone knew who Whitney Houston was. Because so also at this point, at this point, it's also post Bodyguard. So she's even bigger. She like oh. I think like at that point she was bigger than Jesus at that point like in her career. Like, this is oh, I know John Lennon said that about the Beatles, but at that point like no one in 1994 yeah. post Bodyguard Whitney Whitney was it. She was I, like beyond like we put Beyonce now as like a deity, probably the only pop star that could rival that gravitas, you know, or that hugeness. Madonna, of course. And right. Madonna's enduring legacy will continue that. But Whitney in 94, post bodyguard, that no, no one was touching that. So, like, oh my God. Like, I got goosebumps just hearing that. All right, so continue. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. No, it's fine. So we hear Whitney Houston. We're like, oh my gosh. And then this other person walks in the room, another uh, another person with the Madonna microphone, and lines all of us kid performers or teenage performers up. And I remember he's looking at each of us and he picks like a few i'm like okay and you you step forward you step forward you step forward we couldn't really tell what he was looking for but he told me to step forward so i said okay uh, like like a good little theater kid i followed directions and basically when I look back on it, he was picking just the most diverse group that he could get all heights, all sizes, all colors. He wanted to make sure that we looked like American kids or kids of the world really. And they found, they got us these, I realized we didn't have our normal costumes. So they brought us these soccer uniforms. Basically they were white shorts that came just past our knees with the long socks and polo shirts. And even we, we even had like white baseball caps on. They're like, these are your costumes, put them on. We're like, we don't know what we're performing. We don't know what is happening here. But all of this is happening. We're still sitting in the back. We still, we can't see anything but the concrete walls of this room. And even through those thick walls, you could hear the crowd starting to swell and you could hear the sounds starting to come through of people cheering and people super excited. And uh, I just remember we were getting excited, not even knowing what we were doing. <laughs> which is, which just seems so nuts. Like, why would you be excited and, and not know what you're doing? But I think we're just in a much more skeptical time now assume everyone in the world knows who, or even if, again, if you don't pay attention to the sport, you know who Messi or Ronaldo are at the very Right. Least. This is so not that. There is no Instagram. No one could uh, TikTok something. You weren't going to get a Snapchat that told you where you were. Uh, we didn't even have cell phones, uh, not personal ones then. At the time, it was like you'd get a car phone and it literally stayed in the car. Or if you were rich, <laughs> you had the Zach Morris phone, that like giant brick. <laughs> So, so there was just, there were no spoilers. I think that's the best way to put it. There were no spoilers, but even without that, you could get like the vibe that something big was happening and lots of cheers, lots of people yelling. And then we, all of the kids who got pulled in front and were wearing the weird white soccer uniforms, 
were said, come on, we're going to the stage. I'm like, the, the what? You haven't told us what we're singing? Where's the choreography? <laughs> like, there was nothing planned. And um, they basically had us on the side of the stage. And as we walked on, they said, walk on, look for the X, stand on the X. And so there were like 15 of us and they gave us each an American flag. And we walked on the stage and there were X's for each of us. And through the middle, like from behind is Whitney Houston. She walks, she walks out and starts singing the national anthem, the American national anthem. And I got to hold a American flag behind Whitney Houston as she sang the national anthem. Oh my God. This wasn't halftime. This was before. That was in the beginning. So all the pandemonium that you're experiencing, that roar of the crowd, this was yeah, more kickoff. It hadn't started yet. And, and I remember very well just being like, what are they so excited for? But then I realized, like, it was explained to me at the time, this is like the Super Bowl for soccer players. And I got that, like, minus the commercials. So I got it. And Whitney sings her song, or, you know, our anthem. We go in the back and put the, the flags down. And they said, well, do you want to stay for the game? Again, group of teenage theater Greeks. We are oh, like please. not sports minded, but we're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I can hang out for a while. Like, I don't have to go back to you. <laughs> so we waited and had like an amazing place to watch the game. And one of the things that I noticed, and I remember noticing this, was how many little kids there were in the stands. From what I understand now, uh, since soccer was not as popular in the US. They were, the promoters of the game were actually giving tickets to youth soccer organizations. And so the little kids were coming in with their parents and coaches and they came dressed in their little soccer uniforms. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, look, FIFA is a pretty corrupt organization, uh, allegedly corrupt organization. I, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like getting sued here, but you know, the, the proof is putting. <laughs> um, but once in a while, once in a while, a broken clock is right twice a day. And that's pretty right. beautiful that they were able to at least give that to the children. I remember seeing that and, and thinking that was so cool. And I, okay, Sal, I know that you were an Italy fan. You are an Italy fan. But the thing that stuck with me, and to this day, I'll never forget, is the Brazilian fans. Oh, The ones who were there were so loud. They were so enthusiastic. And you know, I, I was in the back and hearing, Ale, 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 Brazil, Brazil. And like, I remember that to this day. And like, anytime I hear a, a Brazilian fan, I'm like, yeah, I know that song. <laughs> Look, there's no apologizing. The, you know, my people, we're just super passionate, loud. Our choreography is good when we want it to be. Um, <laughs> but the Brazilians, any South American country, uh, Latin American countries, they always bring it. Those are the best fans that you want to always be around. And if and I'm happy 
that someone who had never experienced the beautiful game before, uh, if you're ever going to go to a game and your first one is going to be with Brazil fans, the bar is extremely high. And at that point, it's sort of like you've witnessed and you've watched the Beatles. You know, you watch the Beatles in this recording studio, if you will. Um, and But that game was like watching the Beatles and the Rolling Stones simultaneously in the wow. recording studio together. Uh, that Now, as a fan, and I'm sorry, as not a fan, and as you said, the ambiance with the Brazilian fans and children, yes, there were Italian fans there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, they were, we were all crying in the parking lot afterwards. Um, I was crying <laughs> in my house in Long Island. Um, but did, did something occur to you that, like, and I know you're a teenager and we think of things now as we get older and the world is much different, but you think for a moment in time that, wow, like for a minute, the world just seems so small and it's in this stadium and it's an hour from my house and people are going crazy for this game. Did it make you feel that this was something not only beyond Super Bowl for the world, but something special that you may even be a little bit more interested in? I think it, like, at the moment, like, okay, I'm a teenage girl, like, red-blooded. There's some really handsome soccer players. Let's just go with that. So we'll start there. And as a teenage girl, I'm like, mm, th this sport's not so bad. Huh. I should maybe look into this a little more. So on a, on a very like teenagery vibe, like that was probably the first thing I thought, but looking a little deeper at the time, I do remember, Hey, this is cool. Like everyone's so excited. And I think that's the, that was the takeaway because as we were leaving the stadium, we were still super excited and pumped and like, yeah, okay, we'd just been on stage with Whitney Houston, even if I was just holding a flag. But it was also the, the energy that came through the crowd. And that's just not something that you can name or put a finger on. There's just, just an energy. And I remember that being cool. And I do also remember a few years later when they did decide to bring professional uh, soccer to the U.S. thinking, yeah, I could see how that would be a good thing. Uh, that that did cross my mind going, you know, World Cup was such a cool experience. It would be neat to have that on an everyday basis here in the U.S. Awesome. I mean, because I asked because the, the meaning for the 94 World Cup was for the U.S. to get fans like you. They knew they had fans like me and my family and and the Brazilians, obviously, that were in that stadium and the Italians that were in that stadium and, you know, the Colombians and the Spanish fans at all, anybody and the Nigerians, anybody that watched that game in the U.S., like they knew they had those people. But the idea for FIFA was that the only market in the world that they didn't have was the U.S. They didn't corner that market. They had Mexico. They have right. some of Canada but they do not have the superpower, if you will. So the idea for World Cup 94 was they are going to throw everything at the wall and they have to make sure it see what sticks because if it doesn't happen in 94, it may never happen. So having Whitney Houston sing at the final was the, 
feather in the cap. You know, they had in 1990 when Italy hosted the World Cup, um, you know, Pavarotti had sang, which obviously wow. huge, huge, but he's not Whitney Houston. He's huge and he's a big global star, but he is not Whitney. So to have Whitney sing is like that, that was new territory for them because now they're getting into the global pop environment. Of course, now years later, you see Shakira singing in South Africa in the 2020. Yeah. 2010 cup ricky martin comes out for france 98 and has his song um and again global pop now they realize like, okay, this is how you sell it and keep going with it but 94 pop, to be sure uh it definitely brings a new crowd in there but they literally brought in a new crowd with the children yes like there were so many kids there that when you think about the LA area, the Orange County, uh, Southern California area, there are so many sports teams, professional teams that those kids could choose to support. But when you, when you hook a child early, that's when they become a lifelong fan. Like these kids could right. look at the San Diego Padres, the, the angels, the Dodgers, you, you had the, uh, the Rams, at, I think at the time, the Raiders were still in LA. Like you, there were so many sports teams, but if you get, spark the imagination of a seven-year-old in a AYSO uh, soccer uniform, you've got a lifelong fan. And they did really well at catering to that. And, and so you get a, a, a songstress, like, you know, someone who is just like, legendary in her own time like Whitney Houston you mix that with the crowd and energy in a stadium full of soccer fans they hooked people right there it was a brilliant marketing ploy I mean I'm happy it worked and I'm happy that you know you got to experience it I'm extremely jealous <laughs> you got to experience it because the other thing too is that you knew something was different about this world cup as a spectator watching from television is that when the opening game was in Chicago, Oprah was the opening act, you know, they sang the national anthem. They brought out, like they did an Olympic style, you know, gathering of the teams, you know, the flags, like the opening ceremonies, the Olympics, which they don't normally do, but Oprah's there. I mean, the queen of television, the queen of all media. So it's like, this is already a little bit different because they haven't done that before. They usually just let the players do. That's the selling point. But America, you got to bring out Oprah. You got to bring out Arnold Schwarzenegger. Bill Clinton, I think, even appeared at the Chicago event. He was president at the time, after all. But they don't usually mix politics like that. But again, he was the cool rock and roll president. At yeah, that he was moment. when he played the saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show. So, exactly. Yeah. So, and, but again, like it, the buildup is sort of like, all right, well, they went for broke opening match. What are they going to do for the final? They get Whitney and of course, TC Newman and, you know, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, that was like, it, it seemed as you're saying, and discussing the ploy worked in a way that, you know, now generations years later, we're seeing the benefits of it. People that grew up within our generation and now also tuning in. That match for me. Also, like, and I know this is not where you're going with this, but again, from the 16 year old girl's point of view, very handsome, very fit soccer players. It did not hurt when you had mothers 
bringing their kids who are interested in soccer, they don't feel bad when, you know, they bring David Beckham over from the UK. They're like, oh, you want to go see the soccer game? Oh, okay. You know, I'll stare at Beckham for an hour and a half. Why not? Like this was all put together. Oh, so well. That's true. And what's crazy is like, this was even, that wasn't even like the most handsome guys. Like (laughs) that's what's crazy is that this is pre Beckham. It's way pre Ronaldo. You know, it's, it's way, it's, you know, it's pre Mbappe. It's Mbappe, I think was probably in diapers at that point, maybe not have even been born because some of the players now have not even been born when the 94 world cup happened. And I feel very old all the time, (laughs) but yeah, it's crazy, but you make a great point. This story is one that I, I just love so, so much because it well, also I love it because it couldn't happen now. Right. And the other because thing now it would be a, a series of contracts and non-disclosure agreements and uh, being forbidden to put something on social media. All of these things that just didn't happen, didn't exist at the time. The innocence uh, is almost stripped of it. Oh, completely. And, and afterwards we had these uh, wristbands on me and the other theater kids. And I remember during the halftime show when Whitney just jammed out, cause she's just amazing. Being able to jump along and dance with my friends and just think this is the coolest thing ever. And I think what's so sad is I think kids now would feel like they weren't cool if they were doing that. We weren't trying to be cool. We were just having fun. And that's what I remember most from that day is how much fun everyone had. Even even as disappointing as it was for the Italy fans, everyone at that point when Whitney was performing, everyone was dancing and having fun. Well, I'm happy that there was enjoyment because here's the thing, and this is something that, you know, I've admitted only to close friends is that I look at that tournament and you know, whenever I think about it, it just, it, my heart breaks, but knowing that a personal connection to it now with you there, it, for the first time ever, and I mean this, and I think that's why I get so excited hearing the story is that that changes for me now. Like there's a happy moment there because that match was devastating for me and Italians around the world. As we famously lost in penalties as our hero, Roberto Baggio kicked that ball to heaven. Um, and, you know, the mood was just so heavy Mood was so heavy around my family. Mood was so heavy, like that rest of that summer. And it was, you know, a 10-year-old boy. And there were millions of 10-year-old boys and girls and even adults that thought for a minute, you know, that didn't get to witness Italy win the, the 1982 World Cup, that this is it. Like, we may not actually win this anymore. Like, 82 or bust is really the idea that that of course gets erased in 2006 and euphoria and i feel a little bit better about 1994 but again it's still like as 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 excited as i am and was that my country of my birth had hosted it it didn't it always broke my heart thinking about it i don't have good memories because of the final but now again your story it it gives me a good memory now it gives me a good smile Okay, that makes me happy. That's a good thing. Did you get a chance to meet her that afternoon? I did. It was very brief. It was very brief in the back. Um, We get off stage and she walks into our room and she's like, thank you all so much. And we were, we were so stunned because we were like, we were like, 
what do we say? Can we shake her hand? Do we hug her? What happens? And then she actually walked up to us and and said, you know, thank you so much. And like, kind of gave us like a, a little squeeze, a little hug to each one of us, which was like amazing. Granted, again, before cell phone. So when you go home and tell mom and dad, hey, so that event that you said I was cool to go to, you'll never believe what it was. Oh yeah, it was some soccer game. But I sang with Whitney Houston or I was on stage with Whitney Houston. Like, what did your parents say? Oh, I, I remember being so, so, so excited and just like bouncing up and down and being like, mom and dad, you'll never forget, believe what I did. And explaining it to them and then being shocked. Like, really? They wanted you guys? I mean, <laughs> you, know, you all sound okay, but like they, they wanted you. It was like, well, listen, we weren't singing and we really weren't dancing either. We stood in place and held American flags. Uh, like, so it was like not, not something that um, took a ton of skill, but at the same time, I guess they chose people who were used to being on stage, wouldn't freak out by the crowd, um, were used to being performers and would actually smile. So that's probably why they sought out a bunch of theater kids to do this. That is awesome. That I, I can't thank you enough for sharing this story. I can't thank you enough for making that tournament a little bit better for me. And just coming on and telling, telling us all this for our first episode of Cut From On The Owl. So I hope you all enjoy this. You're going to get more stories like this later on down the line. And TC, you right now, and I mean, you've been for a very long time, but at this moment, coolest person I've ever met. So thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And thank you. I think you're amazing. And your knowledge of soccer and ability to take it into real world everyday terms is just it makes the game come alive for for me as someone who's not a huge sports fan like I get passionate hearing how passionate you are and so I think that's super awesome follow us on twitter at curva mundial pod and subscribe to us on spotify and apple podcasts thanks for listening